Well, you know my wife's laughing because this is typical me sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, if I didn't go, I'd be like, <laughs> I got to go to bathroom, Mommy. So um, just wanted to make sure I got that covered. Yes, we are, um, we are happy to be here with you guys. Um, one of the things that is exciting to be able to share with you is that how God creates us and how uniquely we are created by God and the aspect of culture. So, you know, Billy mentioned something uh, about New Jersey, but there's something beautiful about where I come from because Stanford, Connecticut, uh, my parents, I'm a son of two immigrants, and they, they traveled from Italy to America, and they came here in the 60s along with many other Italians from our hometown, Arena, and I was one of three brothers and the youngest of, and uh, when I grew up, we didn't have English in the home. My parents uh, were both, um, you know, speaking Italian. They're from Italy. My father passed away in 2000, didn't even speak English. We had so many Italians in Stanford that everybody who came to our house spoke Italian. And so when I grew up, that was my first language. And I'm young, the youngest of three, so my older brother, who was five years old, he went to, when he went to kindergarten, he didn't speak English at all. So my aunt had to come or I had to go with my mom to talk to the teacher, and we had to work something out. So growing up, having to speak only Italian up to, you know, in my first few years of life, it was difficult. So what mom had to do was my mother had to throw us and plop us right in front of a TV to learn English. I mean, that was English 101 for us. Can you imagine? <laughs> English 101, where you, you and I know that I had to learn, you know, subject, verb, adjectives, and nouns, and it just didn't work because... We normally speak slang when we're talking on TV. We're using a dialect here in English, and we're not speaking proper English. When I was growing up, English was real tough for me. And my wife can attest to that. Amen, amen. Because what happened was growing up, having a foundation where I was confused between the Italian and the English. And then when you're walking around in the streets, you're not speaking proper English. So, But the beauty of it is that having that culture... God saved me at 20 years old, and I prayed for a woman who loved Jesus but would also be Italian because of that cultural. Now, you can't go wrong by praying for it. You just don't know if God's going to answer that prayer, and he did. So I would love to introduce to you my wife and my, and my wonderful children. So my wife, Joya, would you please stand up? Joya, G-I-O-I-A. And my son has disowned our family. He decided to hang out with the Badens for now. So he's behind hanging out with the Badens. So Giuseppe, could you stand up, please? Now, my Rebecca is somewhere. Where's, oh, she's over here. She's hanging out with Miss Kathy. She's decided to hang out. So there's two of our children saying, well, I'm not going to be there because they're trying to fool me. That's my daughter, Rebecca. And my Sophia, who said... Oh, I'm not standing up today. You're just not going to make me do that, Daddy. So I won't let her stand up. But she's Sophia, and she's 10 years old, and Sophia Jamba. But my oldest, Maria, my oldest Maria is in school. She's studying to, uh, for occupational therapy, and she's in her third year. And my wife is an occupational therapist, and my sister-in-law is an occupational therapist. And if you ask me what occupational therapy is, I have no idea. You'll need to find her because I wouldn't be able to explain it.
But the beauty of it is that God is incredible in the way that he creates us, both in culture and the way he desires for us to do work. One of the, one of the desires that I have or the, the thing that I enjoy, and, Denny and I, or Dennis and I had get the opportunity to get to know each other, was, um, was uh, the aspect of, uh, of our background because um, he grew up in the same area that I grew up. I grew up in Stanford, Connecticut. He grew up in a similar area of Bronx and in Danbury, Connecticut, and that Bronx is but 30 minutes away from where I grew up. And so we have similarities in, 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 in sports and similarities in teams, and one of that similarities is Yankee baseball. Um, and at this time of the year, I, I just love spring training because we get to see and look at what, 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 the te- what our teams are going to be doing, how they're going to develop. And how many of you guys like baseball? How many of you like the Yankees? Yeah, I didn't think so. I, I'm surprised. This morning they booed me. You guys didn't even boo me. So already you like me. You like me because I'm a Yankees fan. So I've got an advantage on this one. But here's the thing. When spring training comes, the beauty of it is that when you grab a baseball, everybody's excited during, throughout the winter season and off season. What's happened was that baseball players were working out. They were getting excited. But the beauty of the game and the strategy of the game is that when there is a manager he has to come out to the mound because when the game is three to two in the ninth inning and he has a reliever there and he feels like he has to bring the guy in who's going to close it, he's going to bring in Chapman. And Chapman is the closer for the Yankees who's 100 plus, 102 miles per hour when he's throwing a ball and he's, and he's moving it in different directions. But the manager's coming out to the mound and he's got, he grabs the ball from the former reliever and says, good job, pats him on the back. And then he singles, he signals in the, uh, the, the pitcher and then the pitcher comes and then he's holding the ball and he's just making sure this is my ball. You're not getting until I decide to give it to you. There's an exchange between the manager and the pitcher. Most would look at it and not even think about it. Most would just push that aside and say, what is this? Like, we don't even pay attention to it. It's just a common thing. But with the manager, what he's doing is that when he's handing the ball to the reliever, three to two, top of the ninth, two outs, we're going to the World Series, I'm going to entrust you, Chapman, to win this game. Now, when Boone, who is the manager, he's saying, you're not only trying to make yourself look good, you're going to make me look good, you're going to make this whole organization look good, and we're going to succeed. But that exchange is important because just in that little flip of the wrist, he's entrusting everything he has. And I see things sometimes with God, we don't realize that too, that when are we, when are we making that exchange with our hearts? When is that exchange of our inabilities when we think that we have incompetencies or we're inadequate, we have a struggle or a difficulty or there's something so deep within our being that we don't even know that's there. And we wonder if God will ever use us. Will he ever allow us to be effective for his kingdom? But we're afraid of just handing him over and entrusting him. He's saying, I'm God. I want to get that from you. But we seem to hold on and saying, I'm not sure, Lord. Can I entrust you with everything? You know, my son, my son, and I don't want to embarrass him too much, but he's about to get his license in about two weeks or three weeks. And for the last seven months, I've been handing over the keys to him. And I can tell you as a parent, this is my second go around. Wife even said, you go do it because I'm just going to be too nervous. And so 
I'm handing him the keys. And he doesn't realize every time I hand him the keys, I'm entrusting him that he'll keep his life safe, my life safe, and that car that I still need so he doesn't total it. So I'm doing that every time. He doesn't realize, and sometimes he'll grab it on the counter and say, go get the car ready. And he goes to get it ready. But I would tell him, you realize where you're at. You're in the driver's seat. And so that's important. When we're doing these exchanges, we have to think through that. Where is it in our lives? And what is God doing? And so today what I want to do is I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to talk about the life of Moses. We're going to talk a little bit about the background that was happening at the initial point of the transfer in Egypt. And the Israelites at this time were located where they were in bondage. They were, they, were, they were settled in and they were in bondage. They were held by a nation and a pharaoh. And they were in, enslaved with the fact that they had to, to come and work for this nation. And lo and behold, God had them positioned just perfectly where they were at. But what was happening was there, was there was something that was going on when the Pharaoh died. I'm going to read this to you, verse 23. Just look with me to verse 23. When King Pharaoh, when he died, um, it was, it was uh, interesting because it says, During those days, many of the days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from, from slavery came up to God. Verse 24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. Verse 25, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now, there are four words here that are important in the Hebrew that are showing forth the foundation of what God is trying to say in this passage. Now, follow with me. Here are the four words. Now, in verse 23, it said, and the Israelites groaned. You ever groan before God? Have you ever really just cried out to God and said, Lord, I need you. I need you to do something in my life. I need you to do something that's in, inside of me that I don't even understand, that I need you to do that work. And so these people were groaning. They were groaning because they, they were enslaved by a nation and they couldn't, they didn't have freedom. They weren't able to do what they wanted to do. They didn't have the identity of being the people of God because they were held back by another nation and people. Number two, it says in verse 23, they cried out. So they groaned and they cried out. And the third word is verse 24, and God heard. God heard. How often do we cry out to God if we wonder if God's even hearing? Does God really, I mean, would he really want to hear? I mean, this is really sin and well, I don't know. Will God really want to see my sin? And I, don't, I want to hide it from him. Maybe if he finds out, then he's not going to, let, he's not going to use me. And, and then if he doesn't use me, I can't be effective. And then if I'm not effective, then, well, Lord, oh, please. And so you go through that, and you wonder if God's going to hear. How often when, when we were young and uh, young children, and they cry, and what they're looking for is attention from mom and dad. Now, Daddy, you know, Daddy's the typical nothing box in the brain, and he walks away and says, honey, handle this. Because Mama's the nurturing one, and she, the, the child usually runs to the nurturing mom. And yet, at that point, they're looking for that attention, and they're crying, and they're groaning. But does a mama hear? Yes. Daddy hears. Daddy chooses not to hear sometimes, but Daddy hears. But Mama hears, and Mama hears with that relational heart. 
See, God, that word in the Hebrew and heard is, is the idea of I heard and I want a relationship with you. I heard you and I'm setting up a redeemer for you. That's what God's doing. So many times we see God in the Old Testament that he's not intimate, that he doesn't desire relationship, which is the opposite of what we would imagine, that in the New Testament we would think because Jesus came that there would only be the relationship of the New Testament. But God is not distant like of some deistic God who's got this long white beard who's distant, who's not concerned about you, and you and I are just wondering if he's even interested in our matters, of everyday matters. And so when we think that God's not hearing us because we think he really doesn't care, when he does. The world out there thinks that God doesn't care, but I think the reason why they don't think that he cares is because sometimes we don't realize that he hears us. And so God's doing that work. And then that last word is remember. And that's a key word to remember because in the Hebrew, every time you see the word remembered, you see the covenant. The unconditional covenant. The Abrahamic covenant leading to a progressive Davidic covenant that leads to the new covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant is a sanctification in the Old Testament where the people of God were to be drawn to become more like their God. So that the purpose of becoming more like God is to be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, verse 7. See, that's the purpose of us today. As believers in Christ, we're called to be a light to the world But if we never expose ourselves, if we never believe God's hearing us, if we don't remember something, then we're going to miss out on what God's going to do. So so that's what's happening here. But let let me just share something with you. If you really, 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 really groaned out and cried, because that's that's important. So I I ask these two questions. Does, Does God really, truly hear us when we cry? And what should we remember? I think he's setting it up because here God is introducing himself. He's disclosing himself to Moses. In chapter 3, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, and the priests of the Midian, and he led his flock to the west of the wilderness and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yes, it was not consumed. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a miracle. If you could tell someone, yo, I just saw a burning bush, you'd be like, yeah, uh-huh, what? And then we'll walk away. Can you imagine you have to tell someone in the subway of New York and say, yo, man, I saw a burning bush the other day, man. And you'd be like, what? What kind of bush? A burning bush. Man, what are you smoking? Nah, man, it was a burning bush. And so God is saying right here that he's revealing himself to Moses. And Moses is wondering and saying, wait a minute, why is this burning bush happening but it's not consumed? Why? Because God is beginning to reveal himself to the Redeemer. So here's some things that we have to look at. When we look at Moses, if God is disclosing himself, then Moses needs to do two things, either hide himself or expose himself. So what we want to do today is we want to kind of look at this, and and we want to say first that God is disclosing himself to Moses. He's disclosing himself in a manner that it's of a miracle at large. And God is trying to disclose himself, and here's one way in which he's disclosing himself. God is holy. He's disclosing himself as a holiness of God. Look with me in verse 4. Verse 4, chapter 3 of Exodus. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush. And Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. 
when you see a repetition in the Hebrew of two, when you're going Moses, Moses, that means that he's calling out in relationship. So what God was doing, he's saying, I'm calling out in relationship to you, Moses. See, Moses was with Pharaoh. He was in Egypt. He didn't understand who this God was. And then all of a sudden, he goes 40 years away, and he's, he's, he comes to this wilderness point, and he realizes that now the God of Israel is calling out to him. He heard about the God of Israel. He heard about the Israelites, but he didn't realize that the God of Israel and the God of the Israelites wanted a relationship with him. How about you? And how about so many people around us in our neighborhoods and at work? You ever think that maybe somebody wants a relationship with God when they're crying out in the depths of their being? You don't know, and I don't know. I don't know what my neighbor's going through. I don't know what the person at work is going through, but they might be crying out in the, in the depths of their being, and they're not letting it be known. They're hiding. Well, see, God is revealing himself. He's calling out to Moses, and he says, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. And then verse 5, and then he said to him, do not come near. Take off your sandals off your feet, for the place of which you are standing is holy ground. See, the presence of God, the infinitude of God in his very presence, when we drop to our knees, we say, God, you are holy, and we recognize we're not. We recognize that we're not holy, but he is, because there's a distinction between the creator and the created. And when God is bringing forth himself, most people would say that, wow, I have to be afraid because God is holy. But God wasn't doing that. He was calling out in relationship. See, the beauty of God in the covenant, in the Abrahamic covenant, is that he's saying, I am calling out a people, a nation, a land. I'm calling out relationship. And I want to identify you with me. You're my people. And that's what he's doing here. And he's, and he's laying that out. And he's saying, he's saying you're, you're, you need to come near right now because I'm holy. But should we be afraid? Verse 5 and verse 6, this is where we understand too. In verse 6 it says, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. See, God desires for us to revere him, not to be afraid of him. But too often we're afraid. Why? We hide. Why? Because we're afraid that if God sees our sin... He won't receive us anymore. He won't desire a relationship with us anymore. He won't have anything to do with us. So God is saying, I'm holy, but I want a relationship with you. And that's what he's saying to Moses. Here's the second thing. God is the God of covenant. And we just read that. The God of the father of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's a covenant language, which means this, that God made a commitment to you and I. God made a commitment to Moses that no matter how often we fail, no matter how often we have these inadequacies, whenever we feel that we're not good enough, whenever we feel that we can't accomplish what we can do, can you ever imagine how many young people today are growing up and realizing that they have a low self-esteem, that they're depressed, they're down and out, they don't have a mom or a dad who could sit there and pat them on the back and say, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. That's what God's going to do. It's going to be all right. Because God begins to comfort us and to console us, but it's the kids today in this world don't have that. And God is saying, I want a relationship with you. I want to know you as you are knowing me. There's a tightness that's there. But the covenant is what draws us back in. It's a commitment, which means that when we fail, he continues to be faithful, even when we're faithless. And that's the beauty of God. 
And that's when, whenever we're struggling and we don't understand, and will he ever receive me, we go back to the covenant. And that's, that's where it comes from, the Old Testament into the New Testament. Then we have that God discloses himself as a redeemer. Look with me here at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I know them. And he goes, And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to the good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey and all of those places that are located. Because why? God, the word deliverer, means redeemer. Each one of us know that God delivered us from a state of sin to a state of being a saint. We were once a sinner, but now we're a saint. We were once a sinner, but now we're a saint. Why? It was the work of God who redeemed us. He delivered us out of a state where we couldn't have delivered ourselves out of. And the beauty is that God was telling Moses, I have delivered you. I have called you out, and I'm calling you now. As I am the redeemer, I'm going to be calling you out to be the redeemer. And that's the beauty of what God wants to do in each one of us. Because sometimes we get real comfortable. We think that the blessings of God comes through the three C's. Convenience, comfort, and complacency. We forget that blessings can come when we expose ourselves in our inadequacies. When we expose ourselves in our sin. We can come to God knowing that it's a safe place. And God's saying, I will redeem you. You know, I recall the time when um, I was coming out of seminary, and I was frustrated because coming out of seminary was a great experience, but I began to f- work through a time and a period where I realized that the intellectual ascent of information, I had to get back to a deepened relationship with God. So I, I, I took a risky prayer, and I said, God, if there's something so deep within me, expose it. Because if it's a sin that I can't see, so expose it, Lord, so I can be effective for you, so I can make a difference and reach more people for the kingdom of God. Be careful what you pray, because when you pray that prayer, God will begin to to reveal the ugliness of your heart. And when he does, the beauty of it is he's there to clean the wounds, to to clean the difficulties and the trials. He's there to work with you through the journey because it's not the destination he's interested in. He's interested in the journey. And what I learned is to lean on God through my struggles, through my trials, through my tribulations, through my inadequacies, through when I felt incompetent, when I didn't feel like I was valuable anymore, and when I was feeling worthless, God said, but you're worthy. And I grew and I cuddled up in his arms and he just, he just nurtured on me and cared for me like a mother does to a child. But the beauty was that I exposed myself to God because God prepared me for that exposure. And see, that's what he was doing here. So when we're going through that, God wants a desire to do that thing. And what he's doing is God wants to, Moses needed to expose himself. And God desires that for us as well. So Moses begins to expose himself. God discloses himself. Moses exposes himself. How does he expose himself? One, he's incompetent. Look with me in uh, Exodus chapter 3 verse 11. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He knew Pharaoh. He knew the family. He grew up with the family. He's like, wait a minute, you're going to tell me to go back to my family and tell them that, you're the, that, that I have to come, that I have to speak on your behalf, God? No way. I can't do this. And he was afraid. He said, I can't do this. I have no ability. There's no way. 
And you know how God responds? Look at verse 12. This is how God responds. He said, Bob, be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I've sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He said, don't think I won't be with you. I will. Why? Why is God going to be with them? Because of the covenant. That's the reason. It's not anything in us. It's not because he sees something special in us. It's because he remembers the covenant. And he says, I remember the covenant and I will be with you. And he goes on to say this, but verse 13, here comes the excuse again. Moses goes, but wait a minute, Lord. He said, then Moses said to him, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent you to me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Meaning, Lord, I don't know what to say. How, did you ever feel that way? You ever feel like, well, Lord, what am I going to say to my neighbor? I mean, you want me to talk to them, but I don't even know what to say. What am I going to say to my coworker over here? I don't know what to say to them. And the Lord said, Tell them that I am sent them. And he's like, wait a minute, Lord, the I am. He goes, yes, the self-existing Yahweh, God, creator, the one who created the heavens and the earth, and who created you, who created Pharaoh, who created the Egyptians, I am sent you. You ever feel like when you're in a situation, you just feel like you're left out and you just didn't know what to do? God's saying, I've called you. See, the world needs that right now. We need to expose ourselves in such a way so that when we do that, God can do a great work in us. You know, um, the other day I was on Facebook, and it was, I was so hurt and saddened. I saw a, a, a girl that I grew up with, my friend Colleen. Uh, her picture was right there on Facebook, and on the top it said obituary. And I was, I was taken back, and I saw my friend who I grew up with, Frank. We used to all hang out, and I... I Facebooked Frank, and I said, what happened to Colleen? He goes, the catalyst was addiction. She drank too much. The intestines in her body gave way. She was infected and all, and all over in her body. They couldn't even put a picture of her up to date. They had to put a picture of her when she was probably 13 or 14 years old because that picture looked familiar. Sadly, she was 50 years old. And it broke my heart because I don't know if she knew Jesus. And I don't know who could have witnessed to her. And then this morning, I got a text from my friend Lee, who's down in Texas, who we've done a lot of work together. He came up when I wrote my book, and he was there for, with us for four days. He said, Pinky's dead. Now, Pinky is a young boy who used to work for us. We called him Pinky because he, had, he looked like a cartoon character, Pinky. So we just decided to call him Pinky. That's not his real name. I don't even know his real name. But it's Pinky. <laughs> and Pinky is dead. I said, my heart is heavy, Lee. I'm broken. He said, I am too. He said, he just worked last week for me. I don't even know if, I can't recall if I shared, I shared, I'm sure I did, but I don't know if we led him to the Lord or not. I've got to talk to Lee later. But there's so many people in this world that are lost, that are far away, that are in our midst, and we have to be willing to expose ourselves to God so when God's empowering us to do the work that we could do, we can reach others for the kingdom of God. And God wants to do that. We have only but a moment to do it. God's saying, I want to do that. And so he's telling that to Moses, I am that I am sent you. I will be with you too. Sometimes we have doubt. We're doubtful. We're not sure. We, so Moses was saying, I have no credibility. I'm, I'm doubting this, Lord. And sometimes we doubt. And the reason why we doubt is because we look to the resource of self. 
You ever catch yourself doubting? I do. And what I catch myself doing is I start analyzing how I can do it. And then I doubt. I can't do it, Lord. And the Lord says, I didn't ask you to do it. And he's saying, but Lord, don't I have to do this? No, I'm, I didn't call you to do it. You're my servant. You're in Christ. I want you to do it. So to Moses, when he was exposing himself, God was encouraging him and lifting him up because he said this. He felt that. He goes, trust me. Look at verse 2. He goes like this and into through 5. Chapter 4, verse 2, it says, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. How many times has God delivered us, saved us, redeemed us, got us out of a difficult situation, and still we need to say, God, give me the staff and turn it into a serpent again so I know that you're there for me. How many times we forget when we know that God gets us through those things and we have to sit down and say, wait a minute, Lord, I need you to do that trick again. You got to give me the staff and throw it on the ground and turn it into a serpent because I need to see it again. But Moses, for the first time, he was questioning, and God said, throw it to the ground. Am I not infinite to God, the I am, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Israel? Am I not him? And then he goes on, he says like this in verse 5. So he put in his hand, he caught it, and became a staff again. He said in verse 5, that they, that you, they may believe, they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. He's saying, trust me. If you're feeling any, sensing any doubt, trust me. Third, he felt inadequate. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and tongue. And how often do we feel that way? I know I did. You know, before, I've been trying to write a book for about 13 years. And I'm going to share this quick story with you. I did not feel eloquent enough. I was feeling inadequacy. I was feeling the sense of that I'm incompetent. There's no way I could write a book. I mean, I'm a son of two immigrants. There's no way. I'm not smart enough. There's no way. And I was allowing the enemy to just beat me up. And I told my, my wife, the Lord was telling me, he gave me a, a sermon series back in 2015 called Living Beyond the Grave. And I preached it for three weeks at a church. And then the Lord said, I gave you that because that's a book. I said, yeah, okay, Lord. So I put that on the shelf, metaphorical shelf, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. January of 2016, the Lord gave me a command. He said, did I not tell you to write that book? Get upstairs and write the book. I went over to my wife and said, I was shaking. I said, Lord told me I got to write that book. She goes, well, then get upstairs and start writing it. <laughs> and I was scared because having a background of not being able to speak English well and not knowing if I could even be an author. And here in that first two days, I wrote 30 pages. God was just unveiling this book. He, and, and my wife's like, you wrote this? I said, well, um, I know God can do miracles every day, can't he? And lo and behold, I can understand what Moses was thinking at the moment. But God was saying, he was saying, I'm not eloquent. And the Lord said, verse 12, he said, I will teach you what to say. 
Look with me at verse 12. He says, now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what to speak. Luke 12, 17 and 18, it says that the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that's abiding in us, it's permanent and dwelling because of Christ, that we're in Christ. And God, the Holy Spirit, he will give you the words of what to say to your friend. He'll give you what the words to say to your neighbor. He'll give you what the words to say to your coworker. When he says you can do it, trust me, you can do it, I can do it through you, you and I need to respond. We need to expose ourselves and say, but God, I'm not sensing this. I don't know. And he said, I can do it. And the exposure means that I've got to be vulnerable and transparent saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am. And God is saying that to Moses. Now, we have to understand who Moses is. Moses was told to be one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Moses was mentioned here or mentioned even in the New Testament often. But Moses, too, was a man that not was only up on Mount Sinai with the writing of the Ten, of the Commandments, the Ten Commandments, but he was also there in, in Numbers 12 with Aaron and with his sister. And the Lord said, I speak to him face to face. To other prophets, I speak differently, but to him, I speak face to face. This was an intimate relationship that he was developing with Moses. And Moses began to grow stronger and stronger and he said, I will teach you. Lastly, this is what he's doing. Apathetic. Verse 13. He was just apathetic. He was giving up. He said, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. An excuse. Apathy. I have no desire, Lord. You can't do this. And verse 14, God answers by saying, I will provide that desire. Then he goes, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother? The Levite, I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. God was providing. God was giving him the desire. But God was also giving him people around him that could, could formulate this task. This task of going back to the Pharaoh and telling him the I am God sent him. And he, he couldn't come up with any more excuses. It was done. See, because too often what we forget is that God wants to do this exchange. He wants to teach us that when he discloses himself, we have to expose ourselves. We cannot believe that the blessing of God comes by what we do on the outside. There's nothing we do on the outside that's going to cause God to disclose himself. We need to know that our faith involves the hard exchange of exposure, of breaking down and saying, God, I can't do it. I am not able. I am not up here, Lord, for my abilities. I am up here because you've called me. And if you called me or if you do anything with me, wherever I go, God, you call me. Here I am exposed. Because I know in my life, if I'm standing up here, it's not because of something I can do, but it's something that God is doing. And God is doing a work, but I have to be that servant that says, Lord, here I am exposed before you. Being used of you as however you want to. Take my iniquities, take my struggles, take my sin, take my difficulties and my inadequacies and all of, my, all of these incompetencies here they are, Lord, exposed before you. I've got to make that exchange. See, what, what has to happen is trusting God requires an exchange of the hands. I'm going to go back to that baseball. It's that switch. It's I'm going to entrust you, God, to win the game. Because right now I'm feeling defeated. I want you to win the game. It's entrusting God and believing him to do that. And this is what we will experience, and we can see in the life of Moses. One is that you and I, we can experience like Moses, 
His boundless grace and mercy. You know, one of the things, as I mentioned before, in the Old Testament, they, we never saw God as a compassionate and loving God, but he is. Slow to anger, quick to loving kindness. The Hesed love in Hebrew means a loving kindness, a relational love, a compassionate love for his people. And he shows that in the life of Moses. Two, you will be empowered to, do, to accomplish his purpose. Do you remember something he did through Moses when he raised the staff? And what happened? The Red Sea parted, and a million plus people went across in dry land. He was able to then bring forth the enemies of the Egyptians and have them drowned in the water. God can do that. If someone's coming after you and attacking you, trying to defeat you, God will protect you. But you and I, he wants to build a relationship. He wants for you and I to be prepared to reach those who are around us. Lastly, you will be effective to reach others. You know, we had someone in our neighborhood. I was telling uh, Dennis the other day of a story where we had someone in our neighborhood and this guy would not look at us. He gave us those those looks like he was just a tough guy. I would drive by. We're in a cul-de-sac. And, um, and when I would look at him and try to wave, I'd be like this. He'd be like. <laughs> I'm like, Joy, what's up, with, is, what's up with that guy? He doesn't even look at us. She goes, I don't know. He's weird. You know, it's like we're sitting there, and it's like, I know. He's strange. He's like, he just gives me that look. And so I'm sitting there. I said, let's start. The Holy Spirit said, you need to start praying for your neighbors. So every night. We pray for all of our neighbors at the, at, at the dinner table every night by name around our cul-de-sac and up the street. We taught our children, and now our children pray for them. Do you know what happened? We have a, a walkway just around. There's a 55 and something development just behind some woods, and we do, so we do some walking, and we try to get back and forth, and we were coming around towards his house, and we <laughs> Felt a little weird because we were like, oh gosh, here's that guy. And we're walking by, and all of a sudden, Sophia starts playing with the, his grandson, and we start talking. The talking went on for 10 minutes. The talking went on for 30 minutes. The talking went on for 60 minutes. The talking went on for 90 minutes. The talking went on. It went on and on. Da -na 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 -na. You know, it went on and on. And what happened was three hours. Guy invited us into his house introduced us to his family. And I was like, in a time zone, like, what in the world's going on? The Lord said, that's why I have you praying. You know what? This guy moved away about two, close to two years ago. He's still calling me. He would come over and hang out with me. I'd go hang out with him. We got to become really close friends. And, and he would share all his struggles and his difficulties with me. And I would share a little bit of Christ. And he wasn't interested, but I still would do it. And it built a relationship. But that's what it takes. We're living in a world where people are hurting, they're down and out, struggling. And you know what? It got to where he would curse like a sailor in front of me. By the end of our relationship, he would say he was sorry. Oh, forgive me, I'm using somebody's language. I was like, that's all right. That's okay. But he went from cursing pretty prevalent to not at all. That was the relationship. It was beautiful because God gave me an opportunity. And that's what it takes. And we're living in a world where we just we got to reach those around us. You know, there's a video that I want to share with you. Jackie Hill Perry, she is a young woman who is a poet. She wrote a, a book. She was a former lesbian, and her book is entitled uh, a, a good, or Gay Girl, Good God. Gay Girl, Good God. And her story 
is shared in a way that I, I want you to look at this video and just kind of sense her heart and her passion in it. I met Preston um, at a poetry event in Los Angeles and I was sharing my testimony about being a lesbian. He was sharing his testimony about being a very lustful man that loves sleeping with women. And so we both met just like, this is my stuff, this is your stuff. And we both connected just on a friend level. And so we were friends for three years, but in our friendship, it was weird because God used him to show me that all men weren't the same. I had still believed that all men were like my father, that all men were inconsistent, that they weren't loving, that they weren't compassionate, that they weren't sensitive, that they weren't intentional. Preston was literally everything. He was always that. And it was like in our friendship, God used him to break down my walls and to help heal me of a lot of wounds. But even when we entered into a relationship, it was just like, you are not gonna hurt me. And so it's like I was guarded for years. I think my lesbianism, though it was a sexual attraction, it was deeper than that. It was I trust these people, I trust women with my heart. I trust them with my vulnerability. I trust them with who I am deep inside. So to be with Preston was me putting myself what felt like in a position to be devastated. Um, I remember one time we were in Trinidad to do a show and I told him, I was like, I don't know why I'm with you. I was like, I don't know why I'm not with women. Why am I, why am I with you? I don't, I don't feel the same for you that I feel for women. And we left Trinidad not speaking and he texted me the next day, he said, I love you. And it just broke me. Like, I sure want to cry that. It, it broke me because like, that's how Christ is. Like when we, we don't want him he still pursues us. And so it's like, I, how can I not marry this guy <laughs> when he loves me like Jesus? Yeah, that's, uh, God is amazing because there are so many people out there with the struggle of homosexuality and gender dysphoria that is occurring in our culture today. The struggle of feeling left out, vulnerable, worthless, the sense of not feeling loved. People are dying to be loved by God. But if you and I or his people are not exposing ourselves to God as he discloses himself to us every day, we're not going to make a difference that we can. She was loved. Her change of life, that exchange from, it wasn't the fact that she was looking to be heterosexual. There was a void in her heart. And Jesus filled that void. And then God cleaned it up, cleaned her wounds, and revealed to her, this is a better, better, better plan for me, for me in your life. And she was able to be blessed with a husband, blessed with the beauty of knowing Christ and knowing a man can truly love her. She trusted her heart with God, and she trusted her heart with her husband. How about us? When will they know that we are his disciples? When we truly have love for God and each other. The church is the agent to reach the lost. There are many people out there lost. This isn't our church. This isn't our work. It's God's work through us. We are the church. We're to be the church wherever we go. We have to be a light. God wants to do that work in each one of us. I want you to just take a moment and grab the hand of the person next to you. 
These are your brothers and your sisters. This is an opportunity for you to realize that if you're hurting and you're feeling inadequate and you're feeling as though there's incompetencies in your life, God's saying, I want to reach out to you and love you, but you have a brother and sister holding on right there loving you too. So I want to pray for you that God will begin to open up your heart as he discloses himself to you, you will expose yourself to him in a way that you can't imagine. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for each person that's here. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing in the lives of your people. Thank you for the way that you're exposing or disclosing yourselves as they're exposing you. And I pray for your spirit to move in their midst, that they would be able to see and understand and know what it means to walk with you and to love you and to enrich in and deepen their relationship of great intimacy with you. God, do a work in your people so that when you do a work in your people, they'll be ready to, to be used of you to do a work in those who are far away from you. Father, we want to be a light. We want to reach more people for your kingdom. So God, be glorified in everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.